The band just sang Christmas at Home, and uh, I'm not sure how you would fill in the blank, but coming home to my family. I wonder how you would describe your family this morning. Driving down your childhood streets flooded by the memories. What are those? What would it be like to go home and, and to experience that? It's probably different for each one in here. Coming out of the cold is what they sang, but for some, it's being left out in the cold. That's the reality. For many, they would say, uh, home for Christmas, yeah, and in therapy by New Year's, right? Because that's some of the family dysfunction that we come from. And so the thought of coming home for Christmas and all the warmth uh, that's there, maybe it's not your own reality. This morning, you are uh, invited inside, you're sitting inside, but um, due to an incredible team, we are sitting outside in a winter wonderland Uh, That's a little warmer than you would expect it to be with it snowing, but you can see the snowy trees. And we are are this morning on the outside looking in through the doors at Christmas. There's a warm glow to the lights inside the house. I wonder what this stirs in you. For many, this is an image that uh, that creates a lot of warmth because you have a loving family and you know that, that in a few days or maybe tonight or Maybe sometime this week you'll be celebrating with family. You'll be invited in. You'll be accepted in. But for many people sitting in here this morning perhaps and for sure around our community, this is a terrifying scene. Because being on the outside and seeing the warm glow inside only serves to remind that that they have felt like outsiders for a really long time. And worse yet, uh, maybe not having a sense that they'll be Uh, able to be invited in once again this year. There's a certain longing that's created in our hearts around Christmas time, isn't there? There's expectation. This is how it ought to be. This is what I long to. There's something in me that longs for it to be a certain way. And when things aren't that way, our heart aches. Coming out of the cold or left out in the cold. I want you to look at one of the doors here this morning. And think about it. Now, you probably haven't thought much about doors lately. It's not something that we typically ponder in life. Unless, unless you've been kept out of one recently. Unless perhaps you've had a door open up to you recently. Or perhaps there's been a large man with rude manners that has shown you the door recently. All of a sudden, in those scenarios, you kind of think about doors for a moment. The man saying, from the, from the sidewalk, I see the door. Our language talks about doors as both new possibilities and exclusion. Doors represent these kinds of things. It's a place to enter. It's the legitimate place of entry. It's security. We lock our doors at night. It's warmth. You're being invited in. Close the door, right? Why? Because the heater is on. We want to keep that inside. But doors also represent a roadblock, the end being left out. Now, here's where I'm going with doors this morning. Did you know that Jesus referred to himself as a door? Kind of weird, right? I want you to think about what your favorite names for Jesus are that you hear this time of year. Little Lord Jesus, the newborn King, Messiah, Prince of Peace, King of Angels, Emmanuel, Holy Infant, Son of God, Jesus, Lord at thy birth. That list I just said are sung at Christmas time in very, very familiar Christmas carols by people around the world. Kind of fascinating that just in those titles, 
there's a, there's a lot going on. Titles reveal a lot about a character, about a purpose of someone. They distinguish who someone is, and it distinguishes who someone is not. I want you to think about introducing yourself and giving yourself seven words to use to introduce yourself. Now, we're not going to role play that, but just think about that. Seven words to describe you. Here's my question. Does door make the cut? Is door one of them? Probably most of us say, nope, I, I didn't pick that one. Gospel of John, Jesus makes seven I am statements. And one of them is this. I am the door. It's revealing, each of these is revealing who he is and why he came. Now, something that's kind of fascinating to do, it happens every single year at Christmas time. It happens every single year around Easter time. There are lots of opinions flying around about who is Jesus. Who is he? And what I want to do this morning is I want to let Jesus speak for himself. He said a lot about himself. And instead of listening to others opine about him, I want to let Jesus just speak for himself. So, John 10 is where we're at. If you don't have a Bible and want to use one, there's one sitting in front of you. If you brought one, I'd invite you to open up to the Gospel of John. And John 10 says this. So, so Jesus again said to them. Here's the context of Jesus calling himself a door. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief came only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus is a door. But really more precisely, he says, I am the door. There are others, they're posers, who only mean harm. But I am the door. And he goes on to say this, I'm the door of the sheep. So, Jesus is the door. Check. We got that, right? Jesus is the door of the sheep. What's that talking about? Jesus is describing people as sheep. And before you get too excited, let me just tell you, that's not flattering. It's not that flattering to be called a sheep. Let me, let me tell you a few things so that we can kind of get our head around. What is Jesus talking about being the door of the sheep? Of all the domesticated animals, sheep are probably the most helpless of them all. They're easily susceptible to injuries. They're utterly helpless against a predator. If a wolf enters the sheep pen... There's no commander that stands up and says, all right, let's diversify, let's roam around, let's run, none of that. You know what they do? They huddle together and form a buffet line. That's how they, that's, that is their plan of attack when a, when a threat comes upon them. If sheep fall into moving water, they will drown. Now, a little grace here, if you were wearing the coat of a sheep, you would drown too. I don't care how good of a swimmer you are, you'd probably sink like a stone. So we'll give them a little bit of a free pass on that, but we're not going to let them have a free pass on the next one. Here it is, ready? They are scared of moving water, so they will not drink from it. The only way that they will drink water is if it's still, so it doesn't frighten them. In light of all this, by the way, go take Psalm 23, probably one of the most 
famous and beloved passages in all of Scripture and read it in light of the unflattering comment that you are a sheep. He leads me beside what? Still waters, quiet waters. Why? Because we don't know what's good for us. He quiets it down so we can even get the liquid that we need to survive. Worst of all, though, they have no homing instinct whatsoever. When I was dating Becky, um, her family had two Siberian Huskies. And uh, these were beautiful dogs, really, really uh, amazing dogs. And the female of the bunch, uh, now this is going to start some family arguments, I know, but this is a season for resolving our differences, so let's work on this. The female was really, really smart, and the guy of the dog pack, not so much at all. Um, in fact, Cody, the male of the, the two dogs, um, he, he was just plain dumb. Uh, we were all sitting in the house one time, and we heard this car door, I mean, this car honking like mad outside. And we were wondering, what on earth has gone on? And uh, these dogs, anytime they would get out, they're huskies. So they thought they were in the Iditarod. They just ran. They just took off running. They didn't even care where they were going. They just ran. They loved to run and could do it for a long time. Unbeknownst to us, Cody had gotten out, and a car is honking like crazy. We step out of the house, and right there on Camden Avenue, in the turn lane, is a car honking wildly because there's a dog sitting in the turn lane. And we walk out the front door, and literally, here's, here's where he is. He's right here. Camden Avenue is right here. The turn lane's right here. His home is right here. And Cody had this look when he would sit there. It would be like this. Watch the tongue. <laughs> kind of a blank look, and the tongue would just be sticking out. And so that's the look Cody was giving us. And he's sitting right there, and the car's honking like crazy. And we all walk out. <laughs> And uh, Matro was clear and said, Cody. And he's like, oh, there's my house. Like, who knew? <laughs> Cody must be part sheep. Because that's, that's sheep in a nutshell. They have no homing instinct. Even if they can see their home, they will get lost. Jesus said this, I am the door of the sheep. <laughs> even when we see home." Even when we see our place of safety, our place of belonging, we can miss it. I mean, isn't this just like people? We try and try to fit in, to find acceptance, to find belonging. And so often, there's a cycle to it. We feel accepted. We get ripped off. They were posers. They came to harm us. So we try again, and we try again, and we try again, and we end up alone again. And maybe the idea of a revolving door is the door that's on your mind, the one that you think about a lot because of relationships, because of jobs, because of just this longing to belong that's inside of us. Some people even pay big money for belonging. There was a fruitcake once that said, I feel like nobody really likes me, to which the therapist replied in his mind, fruitcake, right? Some people pay big money so that someone will accept them and hear them and really listen to them for a season. And here's what Christmas is about. God came to give it to us. Not pay money for it, not hunt for it, but to give it to us. God places the lonely in families. I don't know what you've heard about God 
But an Old Testament psalm says it well. God came to set or place the lonely in families. To bring lost children home. God had a plan to come and welcome us in to take us and bring us through the open door. And He went so far as to send His Son to make sure that it happened. John 1.14 talks about Emmanuel, God with us, this name we call Jesus. That the Word became flesh. And as Eugene Peterson translated it, He moved into our neighborhood. But here's what's more. Even better than, than just coming and dwelling among us, even better than bringing us home, you know what the Father does? The Father says, you belong here. And He shows us our place at the table. You belong here. The centerpiece to this is God's... To, the, the, the centerpiece to God's work in all of this was Jesus. And so the reason we celebrate, the reason we marvel at this coming of God in a bod, if you will, is this season of Christmas, that this was God's work to bring us home. And yet most people missed it. He came very specifically to provide safe passage for sheep. Sheep are in need of rescue. They face certain death without a shepherd. What's the biggest threat to sheep? What's the alpha wolf, if you will? Think about it for a moment. If we're the sheep, what's the biggest threat that God came to save us from? I don't think it's harm from others. I don't think it's corruption in culture. I don't think it's false hope, false hope prophets that would lead us astray. Although all of those are threats, to be sure. But the biggest threat to sheep is? It's right in here. It's our own sin. If we're honest, we've tried long and hard to ignore or rid ourselves of the gnawing sense that something's wrong, that we've, we've committed error and we can't get rid of that. And I think if we're honest, we can tell it's not helping. 1 John 3.5 says this, But you know that He appeared so that He might take away our sins. And in Him there is no sin. The invitation goes out as it has for 2,000 years. Be saved through Him. Enter through the door. Believe in Jesus, receive in salvation. It's not just safe passage or rescue, but it's abundant pasture that we get to go in and out. Life abundant is how Jesus described it. This good news for all people is an open invitation, but quite clearly it's easy to ignore a door, right? Until you walked in here this morning through a couple of doors, mind you, you haven't been thinking about doors much, have you? Once you think about them, you'll, you'll probably walk out of a door and just at least for a tiny sliver of time think about doors in a different way. But many ignore the door of Jesus. Many have been invited, few have come. I want to turn to one more story, Luke 14. It's one gospel over to the left from John. In Luke 14, Jesus is at a dinner party with some of His disciples. And at this dinner party, He begins to teach a lesson by teaching a story about dinner parties. 
His main motive was this. He noticed that the guests there were jockeying for the honorable seating. And furthermore, they were showing favoritism based on externals. We don't have any problems with either one of those here in the Silicon Valley in 2014. We're far too sophisticated for any of that. A parable is a story that teaches. So Jesus tells what's sometimes called the parable of the wedding feast. It's prompted when one of the guests kind of ventures into deeper waters and mentions the resurrection. He mentions the kingdom of God. Look at Luke 14, verses 15 and 16. Here's what it says. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he, meaning Jesus, said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. So he describes a great banquet, invitations going out. Last fall, a year ago fall, I got to be involved in a, in a wedding um, of a guy named Tim and his soon-to-be bride, Mia. And it was a, a night of celebration with family and friends. And just the food, the location... The aesthetic, the music, the dance, the joy, the celebration, and their relationship was just so spectacular. They were such a neat couple. My wife and I meet with everyone we marry for six weeks in advance because we take serious tying the knot. We want to tie it tight as good as we can from our end. So we knew Tim and Mia well, and we knew this was just a God-honoring union. And that night was the result of months of planning Picking a location, the caterer, the DJ, the wardrobe, and then the invitations go out, right? I want you to imagine for a moment of all this work and all the planning that goes on with it, the invitations go out, and for those of you who've ever planned a wedding, you know what it's like to get your first invitation RSVP, right? You said, well, someone's coming! This is fantastic! That's great! And so you can't wait to rip open, and you just it's joyful to start seeing people respond with things. But I want you to imagine Tim and Mia for a moment, all this planning, all this work, and here's what they get. I'd really love to come, but you know how I hate traffic. This was up in Danville. Getting out of the Bay Area on a Friday is a nightmare. I'm going to have to pass this time. Another one comes in. Hey, I just bought myself some new quads. I can't let those things sit in the garage. i got to let them run. i got to work the engine in. Those babies need me. I'd love to come. Maybe next time. Oh, next time. Is this marriage going to last? I, I'll be there next one if there is, if there is one. And, and then another one comes in and they say, I'd love to come. But I'm on for snack for kids soccer. And Tim and Mia think, your daughter's five. It's not even technically soccer when you're five. <laughs> snack for soccer? These excuses are lame. And these land really terrible on our ears as poor excuses of why not to come to celebrate with your good friends, Tim and Mia, and their wedding celebration. Now, I'm going to read for you the excuses that are provided, and all I did was contextualize that, because these aren't going to sound super lame to us, maybe. But these lame excuses would have land on the hearers at that dinner party, and they would have all chuckled and thought how lame that was until they realized that was them basically dissing God's invitation to the kingdom. 
listen to it. This is Luke chapter 14, verse 17. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began making excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought a five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. The master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now there's a huge negative to this story. Here it is. People are making excuses. But there's one massive positive that I want to point the light on this morning. You see it in verse 22? There's still room. There's still room. Everything about the party is ready to go, and there's still room. Co-workers and family and neighbors are coming to Christ right here in this neighborhood. Not just our church, but churches around the neighborhood. And yet there's still room. We keep going. Everything's already been done and provided for in the kingdom of God. That work is all done. There's still room to fill the house. Of the many who could come in, only a fraction have come in. So here's the challenge to you this morning. Widen the circle. We've invited these people. What does the master say? He says, then keep going out into the city lanes. And then when that has been done and you report back, that's been done too, what do you do? You widen the circle. Where? Out into the highways and byways, under hedges. You compel people to come in. Here's where it gets even better. There's a certain sense that those that you would imagine are close to coming to Christ, close to entering the kingdom of God, don't enter the door. They're right there. They're at the sidewalk looking at the door. And in the kingdom of God, the way things work is this. The people that you would never imagine would come walking through that door come strutting right through. They receive the invitation and they come to the dinner party. Jesus goes on to tell three stories in Luke chapter 15. We won't look at them, but let me summarize. You've probably heard of a few of them. One is of a shepherd who goes out in search of one lost sheep. He's already got 99, but you know what he does? He leaves the 99. Why? Because he cares about one lost sheep. And it's a story about him searching high and low for the lost sheep. goes on to tell another story of a woman who is searching her house for a lost coin. And it says she turns that place upside down. She sweeps, she looks, she digs around until she finds the coin. The job is not over until the sheep is found, until the coin has been relocated. And then the third one's probably the most famous of all. Sometimes it's called the parable of the prodigal son. What it's really about is a father searching for a son, waiting for the son to come back, looking for him. And what does he do when he sees him from a far-off distance? He welcomes him in. You know how all three of those stories end? After the lost sheep, coin, son 
have been placed properly back, catch this, where they belong, you know what goes on? A parte, a giant celebration. There is much rejoicing. Each of these builds, and it says there's rejoicing once that which was estranged and lost and gone is brought back into its proper place and welcomed home and found. God weeps with joy over the recovery, the rescue of each and every lost sinner. If you are not in the fold, if you've never trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, here's the invitation. There's plenty of room. There's plenty of room. Come on in. Walk through the door and be saved. Jesus said it quite simply. Believe in me and you will be saved. It's why he came. He was on a mission. Luke 19.10 says he was there to seek and to save the lost. If that's you this morning, receive it. Trust it. Come let me know about it. Some of you might be in here and you say, that's not me yet. I'm not ready to make that decision yet. I've got questions. Let me say this to you. You're invited to join the conversation. This church welcomes people who are atheists, people who are agnostics, people who have no idea what those two terms mean. It also welcomes backslidden sheep who've been orphaned and they've removed themselves from the protection and love of the family. We also welcome addicts and smug religious people and the curious. God wants to heal us, and he has. If you were to look around this morning, what you would see, you would see tale after tale after tale of people who came in from a raunchy background all the way to a super righteous religious background, and all of them found healing and belonging, not in their effort, but through Christ. So welcome. Join the conversation. I want to close talking to Christians this morning, talking to sheep. We've come this morning to worship our king. Awesome to be here together. We can't duplicate this. There's something really powerful when the people of God come and gather together. Whether you're a part of NBC or whether you're visiting from out of town, if you are a Christian, if you've been born again, I want to talk to you for a moment. This morning, I don't want you to agree with me or nod your head in agreement. I'm really longing for you to take action. And I'm longing for you to take action because God is throwing a party. And in this story, Christians are the servants. Christians are the servants. They're the ones sent out to bring people to the party. Preparations have been made. Invitations have gone out. God wants us to go, to invite, to reach out and welcome others in the way that God so graciously reached out and welcomed us in. Many of you are doing that. In fact, it's so encouraging for me week after week to hear story after story of people who are saying, man, God's put this person on my heart. I got to have this conversation, and, and I'm now starting to meet with them about some things. And God's using me to, to be a blessing in their life. Awesome. Keep going. Keep going. In fact, I would say this. Show some creativity. Show some urgency. Show some passion. We're to fan into flame. We're to be reminded. That's right. There's an amazing wedding feast, and we're the servants. We've got to keep going. That's the message this morning. This same Jesus, the door of the sheep, is welcoming people in from the cold, not only here but around the world. If you're new with us, let me tell you about a few things that Neighborhood Bible Church is about. One of the things that we do is we worship God. We come together collectively. It's not about an event. It's really about more than that, but this probably is representative of that lifestyle of worship. 
Secondly, we're about community. We meet in groups um, all through the week, just in small groups to kind of break down this larger gathering into a place where you can know and be known. And thirdly, we highly value this word share. And the word share has everything to do with sharing our life, our stuff, our energy, to give our lives away because Christ said that, that it's then that we're found. And to, sh- to be sure to share the gospel. We partner with a ministry called Love, Inc., Love in the Name of Christ. What that organization does, it finds tangible needs and it pairs them with people who care in the community. And says, if there's a legitimate need, wouldn't you want to jump in and help that? So let me tell you what this church does. Over and over and over again, there are people who invest their life in budget mentoring, not just handing someone a 20, but saying, I'd rather not hand you the 20 and invest time mentoring you in a, uh, a few-month-long course. And by the way, while you do that, while you invest that time to transform your life, to learn how to budget, we're going to start matching some of the money that you put into it so there's tangible help needed along with people help. Many people in this room give rides to people. There's a lot of people who are shut in and need rides to doctor's appointments, needs rides uh, to the grocery store just to handle basic fundamental things. And many people in this room take their car and use it for the kingdom of God, say we want to be a blessing to people. We don't want to just drive ourselves places but others. Others are here who just provide friendship. They just provide visits to lonely shut-ins. Others are in here uh, are amazing with their hands, and they just go and do home repair, and they do uh, cleanup, and they do kind of the, the menial tasks and the chores that, that would cost a lot of money, but they go and, and bless people for free. That's love in the name of Christ. We also partner with people in Mexico, Mozambique, Kenya, and Ethiopia. God is leading people from this place into all sorts of different realms and regions. In fact, coming up in January, we're going to take an entire month and, and be doing some things with, with orphan work, not just locally, um, but, but around the world. And one of the things that we've been able to do several years ago, uh, just through generosity of people in this room, there's 44 kids in a certain poor region of Ethiopia that are all sponsored by people in this church. And they have been for a couple of years now. And it changes lives. We're going to have the opportunity to, to join in with that in January. Not just our neighborhood, Mexico, Mozambique, Kenya, and Ethiopia, but even more strange lands and faraway places like Texas. God is working. And I bring up Texas because um, Steve and Ida Irwin are here. Um, do you both want to come up or, or just you, Steve? Okay, <laughs> I just saw the nod from the wife. That will be just Steve. We support Steve and Ida as missionaries. They are working with people right kind of border Texas, uh, training people in Latin America, working with tribal groups and training them up. I've asked Steve to just share um, a little bit about what God's doing as the door of the sheep in Texas and kind of in his part of the world. Okay. Um, First of all, I want to thank you all for being our supporting church and our sending church and uh, for being behind us, even though we hardly ever get up here. We live in Texas, but we have lived in in Colombia and in Mexico, we live in Texas because uh, we can't live in Mexico right now. But we work all over Latin America, basically through the wonder of the Internet, which I'm sure some of you know about. Anyway, our job is to equip people who are taking the gospel to folks who've never had a chance to hear, uh, mainly tribal people. And on this whole theme of being on the outside looking in, I just got a letter the other day that I want to share with you. And in order to do that, through the wonder of Walmart glasses, I'm going to read you this letter. 
This comes from New Guinea. Now, I don't work in New Guinea, but our mission does. And these are the kinds of people that we are really focused on reaching. These, these people from the Isahu people group or the Isahu tribe, uh, they live in mud huts. They have bones in their noses. They live in smoky little places. Um, I wish I could show you a picture of them. I wish you could smell them right now. And, uh, it would be a, like a whole different world. But actually, once you get to know these people, they're really not so different from you and me. This letter says, yes, I am writing because I have something with you ones. This is directly translated from their language. I have a big worry that I am not sure what will happen when death comes. The men and women of Isahu Village, we are very hungry for this talk, that it will be in our bellies. Please have pity on us. In all other places of the earth, we have heard that they have the talk of God. But us ones of Isahu are still standing without we have nothing. Pardon me, this stuff gets to me every time. I have heard of others hearing this talk in other villages, but this talk is not in Isahu yet. So please send someone to learn our language and teach us this talk so that we can know it too. Please have pity on our lives. We don't know what will become of us when death is on us. There are other groups like that. I have other letters uh, like that from groups that are asking for somebody to come and share the gospel with them. But there's also good news. This is another letter that I just uh, read back in the middle of November from the Hostetters who are working with the Pal people of uh, Papua New Guinea, and they were able to teach them the whole story of redemption from Genesis through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and his ascension to heaven. And uh, they're saying here, the last lesson has been taught. On Wednesday, we shared with them that Jesus went back to heaven after God raised him from the dead, and he's going to come back again someday. It was the last in a long line of gospel lessons we've been teaching every day since August, from August to November. And God has accomplished great things through his word. Several village leaders have given clear testimonies of salvation through faith, and many others have shared with us that they now understand what Jesus did for them and are putting their faith in him alone to save them. Men and women alike have told us and others about their new faith and freedom from sin with tears in their eyes and joy in their hearts. Since then, we have walked through villages and seen people packed into houses, listening to a new believer share his faith and encouraging them to believe it too. We have seen people's hunger for God's word skyrocket. People flock to a neighbor's house to ask questions and ask us, to tell them more about what God says. One thing that he says uh, here at the bottom, he says, it's an amazing thing to witness someone being born again. I encourage all of you to do anything you can to be able to witness it in others as you wait for Christ's return. You know, whether you live in a smoky hut with a bone through your nose or, or in an apartment around the corner from this building, we all have that, that need to be brought Brought inside. I'm sorry. One reason why I'm out there doing this is because other people sharing the same uh, news made me react just like I react right now. And that was back in 82, so it's been a while. Thank you, Pastor. Thanks. Steve shot me a note that they'd be worshiping with us
this morning on Christmas Sunday, and um, man, love to get an opportunity to hear what God's doing around the world. Hope is a person, and he was born on a night a long, long time ago, and this, this work that God's doing, this filling of the belly with the, the talk of God, what a great way to put that, is accomplishing much around our city. We see it every single week. And when you start to just spread out, you hear the story, go out to the highways and the byways, keep going. There are more people groups, a part of our worship here on Sunday mornings um, is to be able to mimic and worship our generous God with generosity. One of the thrills that, uh, that we get to do collectively is some pretty cool stuff that individually we, none of us would be able to accomplish, uh, but, but people working together can accomplish much. Um, and so this morning, we have an opportunity to partner with Neighborhood Bible Church. And a part of partnering with Neighborhood Bible Church is partnering with Steve and Ida out there um, accomplishing things in, in other parts of, of the world. And I just encourage you, if, if you've been attending for a while or brand new, uh, start to discover what that is. Every single dollar that's given here is accomplishing things in the lives of people. Let me pray. God, what a morning. What a, what a time to be together. God, what an awesome reminder of your work, God, of reaching out and welcoming in, of bringing those who are out in the cold, into a family. And God, with all the trappings that a church can be, with all the program, with all the decoration, with all the politics that probably all of us have experienced in churches, God, we know that fundamentally a church is a family. And God, we're here for each other. We fight and we sing together. We accomplish great things and we sit around. And God, we need your grace. We need your power and your spirit to move through this place, God. We, we celebrate what you've been doing around NBC in this neighborhood. And God, we long for more. Pray that you'd really break our hearts, God, and open our hearts and minds to people right across the street, right down the street, Lord, who've never tasted of this and long for a word from you.
Well, I mentioned earlier uh, about uh, how three kings came and only they bowed before this Savior, Jesus. But one day, the entire world, all the kings are going to bow before our Lord. I'm so grateful today that we can celebrate not just this firstborn king, but his coming back as well. We're going to sing about the night before Christmas right now. Join us. Sadness, desperate madness, creation so torn. We were so lost on earth, no peace, no worth, and no way to escape. In fear, no faith, no hope, no grace, and no light. But that was the night before Christmas Warm hay, cold sweat, a mother not yet Praying God's feet the dawn She looks to her man holding her hand they wonder how long And the shepherds, wise men Come to find them And bow to a king One star above Shining on love So bright It lit up the night before Christmas And the world didn't know Mercy was speaking so much And the world didn't know The truth was as pure as a child The night before Christmas The night before Christmas so strong and the world didn't know salvation was writing a song the night before Christmas the night before Christmas the night before Christmas
Let me tell you 12 words that are really, really powerful to a Christian. He said this. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And in January, um, we're not just going to look at physical adoption and about not forgetting orphans in our city, in our county, in our world. But we're really going to look at it from a theological standpoint. We're going to look at our adoption. We're going to look at our um, orphan status prior to God. So that's coming in January. Uh, next Sunday is going to be just a really fun, kind of unique sort of a Sunday. I want to prime the pump right now a little bit. We're going to get to hear from you. Uh, we're really going to have a lot of testimonies and um, just the ability to share. And these are some of the things that God's done in my life. And here's some ways you can pray for me. And so just have a neat family feel to it. We'll be celebrating communion. Uh, so that's one week from, from today. Love to have you come. I will not be in a, in a jacket, just for those of you who are new. This is not normal. I may come in my pajamas next week. I'm not sure. It sounds cozy. Uh, we might just sit around uh, the Christmas tree and do it that way. But, uh, but before that, we have Christmas Eve service. We have two services. Um, all the information is right here. We have stacks of these right out by the children's check-in. Love to have you grab those and, and walk around um, and, just, and just invite people. It's been so neat to see our community using the, the front bridge and We've been getting some letters from God. We're going to get to hear uh, from, from our community a little bit uh, on that. So just be spreading the word about that. Love to have you. My, uh, my prayer for Christmas Eve is that I would have to look at some of our core people and just say, none of you take a seat because we've got too many. Let them sit. You guys stand in the back, sit in the front, whatever needs to happen. Uh, let's pack this place out. Uh, there's two, two opportunities to come. So Merry Christmas to you. Why don't you all stand up? We're going to dismiss to, uh, to a song that we all know. And... Um, The band's going to lead us. Sing, oh, come, all ye faithful. Oh, come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him. Born the King of Angels, O oh, come let us O oh, come, O oh, come let us adore Him, Christ the Lord. Oh, come let us adore.
Hopefully. Yeah. 